Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 181 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a wonderful first week of December as we push deeper into the holiday season, and as we push deeper into the concluding portion of the NFL regular season. We're going to start this episode like we start all the others with my standout seven. And, you know, we like to go bigger story, but the biggest story of the week, I would say, hands down, came out of Lincoln Financial Field. Number one in the standout seven, let's talk Niners beating down the Eagles in Philly. Now, there's no way to sugarcoat this one, Eagles fans, and I'm sure you are well aware of it. It was 6 nothing Eagles at the end of the first quarter. And the San Francisco 49ers proceeded to win the rest of the game 42-13. 14 in the second, 14 in the third, 14 in the fourth. There are no fingers to be pointed at the Zebras for this game. Brock Purdy, back on AI mode, 19 of 27, 314, four touchdowns. Did so well to the point that Vegas moved him to the head of the pack to win the NFL MVP. Worth noting... The Niners are still one game behind the Eagles for the head of the pack in the National Football Conference. But we don't have to talk about that just yet. Skill position players. Well, Christian McCaffrey in this one. 20 touches for a buck 33 and, of course, a touchdown. Debo Samuel, 7 touches for 138. And count them, not one, not two, but three touchdowns. And I believe it was him waving to the crowd prior to the third one. And then after the third one, waving goodbye to the Lincoln Financial faithful. George Kittle chipped in four for 68. Brandon Ayuk had 46 yards receiving and a touchdown. Juwan Jennings even chipped in a touchdown as well. On the other side of the scoreboard, Jalen Hurts 26 of 45, 298 and a touch. The running game was relatively non-existent for the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, Hertz had his rushing touchdown in a tush-push generation, which we are living in. He will get just about one a game. Uh, in terms of yardage, we're talking 45 yards, 46 yards. Big games out of Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, but it just didn't matter. The Niners could not and would not be stopped on offense. Where does that leave us? Well, It's an intriguing spot if you're wearing the Nostradonautic ball cap. At the beginning of the season, I said that I thought San Francisco was the best team, but I believe I had the Eagles as the one seed, and the only time we'd seen them play each other, Brock Purdy threw his arm out, and Philly dominated because, well, I mean, the other team didn't have a quarterback. It's hard not to. Um, Right now... As I said, standings-wise, Philly is in the lead. We can look at the schedules real quick. Philly, Monday night football in two weeks. This week, they've got Dallas on Sunday night. Then they've got, this is in Dallas, by the way. Then they head to Seattle for Monday night. They take on the Giants two out of the last three, and they've got the Cardinals in between them on New Year's Eve. In terms of wins, we're talking what? At least three, likely four. So if you're San Francisco, you need to win four, maybe five. Take a look at the last games for San Francisco. Oh, by the way, there's only so many games remaining in order for you to, you know, walk away with five wins. 
San Francisco 9 and 3 at the moment. Their remaining games, they've got Seattle this week, 4:05 p.m. kick. They've got the Cardinals, then Baltimore, the Commanders, and the Rams. On the road, only in Arizona and in Washington. So at least Baltimore has to come all the way to the West Coast. Dallas is the one that could muddy all the waters. If Dallas knocks off Philly, Philly's got to win out for the most part, unless Baltimore can take care of business for them. And last time I could remember Baltimore versus San Francisco, it was a Super Bowl with a blackout. So, going to be an interesting end of the year in the NFC. Back to the matter at hand. I said, where do we stand right now? Well, I mean, we're still within the month of Philly getting walloped. I would say that is easily going to be the worst game Philly plays all year defensively. I'm not 100% certain what they can do to try and adjust their game plan or salvage for the next matchup, if there is a next matchup, with the San Francisco 49ers. It's perhaps more blitzing, more pass rush. Is it more of a ball control-oriented offense? They ran for, like, under 50 yards. So... Put it this way, I'm lucky that I'm not wearing Nick Sirianni's ball cap right now. Um, Do we need to talk about the incident with the security official, security guard of the Philadelphia Eagles? Because if we do, we will. Um, I thought it was ridiculous. I mean, you're taking a legitimate Pro Bowl caliber player out of the game for San Francisco because he pushed his hand and nipped the cheek of a security guard who pushed him away to begin with. Oh, by the way, why is a security guard interacting with football players? He's not in the stands. This is not the malice at the palace. He's on the sideline. And he's not even deep into the sideline to where this is a legitimate security situation. What what are we doing here, guys? How does this become a thing? He shouldn't be let on the sideline. Or it should be made very clear from Philadelphia Eagles management You can't interact with opposing players. You want to be down there and hype guys up. Okay, the players like you, whatever, yada, yada, yada. The fans like you. Okay, fine. But you shouldn't be antagonizing opposing players. There was no health situation. It's not like he was Miles Garrett swinging a helmet into the head of Eagles players. I don't understand what the security guard thought was going on there. Oh, he's protecting his guys. Oh, really? They're professional athletes. I think they're pretty safe. I think they're in a, in a decent enough physical situation where if something escalates here, they can handle themselves. Are you there to protect the coaching staff? Okay, well, I didn't see him swinging a Miles Garrett helmet at Nick Sirianni. Okay. No, that was probably the Eagles fans after the game because they got punked on their home field. And now they have to listen to all the Niner fans rant about it because, oh, you know, well, we would have beat you guys if we had Purdy. Yeah, yeah, yeah and then went out and lost the Super Bowl anyway. Well, now there's a little bit more credence to that argument, right? Come on, guys. 42 to 19. It had to lead the show. Number two in the standout seven, we're going to kind of ditch the bigger story format this week. Although, you know, maybe we'll take it in a wider berth. We're going to go number two, the AFC playoff race as a whole. As we push later in the season here, it's hard not to just throw the playoff picture in there, keep you updated whether it's your favorite team or the teams you love to root against. So let's go to the conference of the defending champion, the AFC. Right now, the one seed per NFL.com is the Miami Dolphins at 9-3. and three. 
Two seed Baltimore Ravens also at nine and three. Three seed Chiefs at eight and four. Four seed Jaguars at eight and four. All teams leading their respective divisions. Five seed three-way tie, but right now it's the Cleveland Browns at seven and five. The Colts at six at seven and five. The Texans at seven at seven and five. Yes, that's how a tie works, Nick. Not sure, I, not sure I needed to explain that one. Um, the eight seed, fresh off of their Thursday night loss, which we can touch on in a sec, the Pittsburgh Steelers at seven and six. Then nine, ten, and eleven in this order, all six and six. We've got the Broncos, the Bengals, and the Bills. Just barely clinging to hope, you have the Chargers at 12 at 5 and 7, and the Raiders at 13 at 5 and 7. If you want to get technical, the end of the the conference is Jets and Titans 4 and 8 in that order, and the Patriots at 3 and 10. Well, the reason this was kind of in a loose, bigger story format is because I wanted to touch on some of the some of the games that we saw from these contenders. Let's get started in that ilk with the Jaguars loss on Monday Night Football to the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, admittedly, I did not think this was going to be a good game because, if you recall, if you've been listening, and if you have, thank you, the week, a few weeks prior, um, we had the Joe Burrow injury, right? And then we had Bengals Steelers. And I said, you know what? There's still a championship-level core there for the Cincinnati Bengals. And they proceeded to face the Pittsburgh Steelers and run for under 50 yards, throw for under 250. Uh, Jake Browning had 227, a touchdown, and a pick. It didn't look impressive. We didn't see anything crazy out of this team. Tyler Board, three catches for 23. Jamar Chase, four for 81. The defense looked okay, but it's the Pittsburgh Steelers offense. What do you expect? Oh, by the way, this was one of the best games they had all year. They only scored 16 points. Kenny Pickett, 278 yards through the air. Najee Harris and Jalen Warren combined for just under a buck fifty. Pat Fryermuth had a huge game. So I go, all right, well, maybe the morale has been lost. Joe Burrow's gone. It is what it is. Then the Bengals walk into Monday Night Football on the road, and Jake Browning looks like prime Drew Brees. 32 of 37, 354, and a touchdown. Joe Mixon racks up two touchdowns on the ground. Him and Chase Brown, of all people, combined for over a buck twenty. Jamar Chase has a massive game, some one-handed catches, some bobbling catches, a buck 50, just a hair under, 11 catches and a touchdown. Um, he added another 49 receiving yards for Mixon. T. Higgins got back out there, 36 yards. Tyler Boyd had 37. And on the other side, we see Jacksonville lose a very winnable game. I mean, realistically, we see Trevor Lawrence go down, and we see a missed field goal, and that's pretty much the difference here, I would say. I mean, C.J. Beathard was all right. He was more than all right at 9 for 10 for 63, but they got the ball in overtime and didn't matriculate it into anything important. Um, Jacksonville kind of fumbling the bag here, if we're being completely honest. This is coming from someone who was very high on the Jags to start the year. I thought they would break in to the higher echelon of the AFC, not just being the fourth seed and the de facto as the division winner, but... Realistically, sitting at 8-4 and four now, they're tied with Kansas City, who's fresh off of a loss we'll talk about in a sec. If they would have won this game at home against a backup QB, they would be in a situation where if Miami and or Baltimore slips up, they're really rising up the ranks. Um, not sure who to put this one on, if we're being frank. It's looking like right now that the Trevor Lawrence injury is not serious to the point that it might have been. I mean, we saw him slamming his helmet 
on the turf, right? That's never a good sign. Um, it was weird that they didn't put him on a, a stretcher, but it came out that he said he didn't want to go on a stretcher. Okay, whatever, Trevor. Whatever works for you, dude. Um, it appears to just be a high ankle sprain. We'll see how it goes. You take a look right now at the Jaguars injury report. He's listed as questionable with the ankle. They're going to be playing the Cleveland Browns. This is a massive game because right on their heels, and this is why I was saying kind of a little bit of a bag fumble, the Indianapolis Colts and the Texans, who neither of which were supposed to be very good this year, are both 7-5. and five. Oh, by the way, the Texans are facing Zach Wilson and the Jets. We'll talk about Zach Wilson in a bit. That's a very winnable game, and the Colts are facing the Bengals, who I, I've lost all read on. It was hard to read them this year when Joe Burrow was in the lineup, with the slow start and then bouncing back as he appeared to get healthier, and then obviously not so much. Now they're sitting at 6-6. Six and six. A win over the Colts could vault them into the playoffs, which would be bizarre if the Bengals are able to sustain a playoff push with Jake Browning, and the Buffalo Bills are somehow on the outside looking in. Other games around the AFC I wanted to touch on here. Uh, let's take a look real quick at the Colts' victory over the Titans. Um, the Titans put up a heck of a fight. They showed pride. You know, Mike Vrabel got the boys ready to play, playing at home. Um, Will Levis did not play tremendous, but Derrick Henry had two touchdowns at 100 yards. Tajay Spears chipped in at 75 on the ground. Um, you know, Henry gets hurt in this one. Kind of hurts them in the long run. Gardner Minshew just finds ways to win, man. I mean, I talked about it last week when I picked this game, and I'll, I'll talk about it a lot when I pick the Colts to win. I don't understand why this guy is kind of a scrap heap quarterback. I'm sure if you are more in the weeds than I am, if you're a pro football focus sort, or if you're pouring over tape and tape and tape, you could break it down a lot easier than I could. But when I look at Gardner Minshew, I look at a guy that went 6-6 six and six in Jacksonville as a rookie when no one knew who he was, and he threw 21 touchdowns to six picks. The next year, they go 1-7 and seven in his starts. His completion percentage goes up 6%. He goes 16 touchdowns to 5 picks. His yards per game goes up. This year, obviously, they're 5 and threes, 10 touchdowns to 7 picks. It's not great. 62.8% completion percentage. Yards per game is not tremendous. It's a team not built to contend. Then again, neither were those Jacksonville teams, I thought. Here we are. It's intriguing to me. I mean, you take a look... At passer rating, he went from 91.2 as a rookie to 95.9 his second year and 83.7 this year. Meanwhile, if you look at QBR, the newfangled version or upgraded version, depending on your perspective on the statistic, he was 44.6, which is below average, as a rookie, 44 as a sophomore, and this year he's way up at 58.3. I, I can't make heads or tails of it. I mean, I know... In other sports, particularly in baseball, perhaps a bit in basketball, when you talk about win shares and PER and things like that, there's been a reliance on the analytics branding, I would say. I know it's not a legitimate brand, but I hope you understand what I say. Uh, what I mean when I say that is just, oh, it's analytics, and you lump all of these statistics together. And since they are new and are driven more by more in-depth data, they are considered superior to the basic ones. And look, I'm not saying that passer rating is the thing, the hill that I'm willing to die on, but when the guy goes out there and competes and he doesn't really turn the ball over as much, and he, I don't know, 
I think Gardner Minshew's pretty good. I mean, I know he had a whole bunch of fumbles as a rookie, and he's got a bunch of fumbles this year too, but I don't know. Daniel Jones fumbled all the time too, and Daniel Jones just got a four-year extension last offseason. Like, what? I mean, 21 touchdowns to six picks as a rookie, that's what Jones put up last year. What are we doing? Like, we're literally comparing. I mean, the guy went 9-6-1, 15 touchdowns to five picks, and he got a huge extension. Gardner Minshew, 16 touchdowns, five picks as a sophomore, and he gets benched. Yeah, okay. Either way, there's my rant on, my rant on Gardner Minshew. Uh, the reason I mention it is because the Colts are still fighting, and I said it last week, I'll say it every week till the season's over. If Anthony Richardson, and I just praised Minshew like crazy, it's going to look weird, but if Anthony Richardson were healthy, from what I saw from him, this Colts team would be dangerous. And I say that because that Texans team is dangerous because of C.J. Stroud. Gardner Minshew, not the QB Anthony Richardson is because of the versatility he brings with his athleticism that I thought could have played really big in this offense. Um, Either way, Colts sticking with it. Six seed taking on the Bengals this week. Final AFC game I wanted to touch on here. Let's talk about a battle between two contenders. Let's talk about the Houston Texans kind of dominating the Broncos. I mean, is dominating too harsh of a word? They win by five points in this game. Russell Wilson throws three picks in this one. Houston's defense doing the job. They win a game where C.J. Stroud didn't have his best game. He goes 16-27, decent enough, nothing crazy. A touchdown, no interceptions. I mean, they didn't get a lot of production out of the run game, under 100 yards on the ground. Damian Pierce is back, but he was averaging 2.7 yards per carry. Um, And we see Tank Dell go down. I believe that was either this week or last week. But without Tank Dell, uh, yeah, it was this week. Without Tank Dell, this passing game is going to be significantly different. He went to IR. He's got a broken leg. I don't believe we'll see him again this year. If they make a postseason run, maybe he does a little bit of the Terrell Owens and gets out there. We'll see. But you can tell after the game that he's very close with C.J. Stroud. They told the story last week, I believe. That's when I heard it, at least. um, About C.J. Stroud kind of recommending Tank Dell to the front office to bring him in after a workout they had together. And, uh... It's huge. I mean, it's a young, rising star receiver and a rising superstar quarterback. Um, But still, they persevere. I mean, your star wideout goes down. It could really sink your offense. You know what? They did just enough. The defense stepped up, picked up the slack, picked off Russell three times. He throws for under 200 in this game. Um, Yeah, maybe if you're a Denver fan, you had to know it wasn't going to last forever, right? This was quite the winning streak, if we're being frank. I mean, it starts after a close loss to Kansas City, or close-ish, 19-8. They beat Green Bay. That win aged very well. They beat Kansas City, obviously. That looks good. They beat Buffalo. That aged pretty well. They beat the Pastronaut, and then they beat Cleveland. I mean, that's a pretty strong five-game winning streak. Green Bay in the playoff hunt. Chiefs going to make it. Buffalo in the playoff hunt. Vikings in the playoff hunt. Cleveland, same. Um, Are those teams all tremendous? Uh, Green Bay, it's a building year. It's Jordan Love's first year. Buffalo's having a down year. Pastronaut had been there for two weeks. Cleveland was on quarterback number two and three of four. Um, But you can only play who you're facing. So huge win for Houston to stay in the playoff chase. 
especially considering Jacksonville stumbled on Monday night. Number three in the standout seven, let's go NFC playoff picture. We'll keep it a little bit more brief because we've touched on the biggest game from the NFC. One seed for now, at least, nervous Eagle fans, are the Philadelphia Eagles at 10-2, Niners in second at 9-3, Detroit in third at 9-3, and, and the Falcons, yes, they get to be the four seed, whoever wins that division, I should say, at 6-6. Six and six. Those are your division leaders. Wild card teams, you got the Dallas Cowboys at 9-3, and three, pretty comfortably a playoff team. Uh, either a division winner, if they can kind of put on a big performance, or a lead wild card dog. Uh, number six right now at six and six, we have the Minnesota Vikings tied with them, but at seven, the Green Bay Packers six and six as well. Oh, by the way, on the outside looking in, we've got two more six and six teams, the Seahawks at eight and the Rams at nine, five and seven and five and seven for the Buccaneers and Saints. And then if you really want to go down the board, we've got Giants and Bears four and eight each commanders four and nine and the Cardinals three and ten. Finally, mercifully on the bye. Oh, by the way. We've got our first team eliminated. I think it was this past week. Carolina Panthers at 1-11. and 11. So who else do we need to touch on in the NFC? Well, we can't just skate by the Green Bay Packers pulling off an upset at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, can we? Um, well, we'll get there. This was not a tremendous performance from the Chiefs. I mean, it's 14-6 Green Bay at half. Mahomes in the game goes for just over 200 yards. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco, solid on the ground, 18 for a buck 10. Travis Kelsey was their leading receiver. Rasheed Rice had eight catches in this one, and it's still... How many times do I have to tell the same old story? I mean, going into the year, we knew they didn't have a number one wideout. Maybe they were confident somebody would step up, and we weren't, but uh, nobody stepped up. So, they don't look great out there. However, Jordan Love, 25 of 36, 267, and three touchdowns. Was he Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, immaculate? No. Was he damn good? Yeah, I think he was pretty damn good. Um, A.J. Dillon with the gang back there. Patrick Taylor chipping in a little. James Robinson had a carry. Christian Watson, they wound over, wound up over 100 yards rushing total. Uh, Christian Watson, who's in spurts, looks like he could be a really good wideout. Sometimes disappears, which happens. Uh, seven catches for 71 and two touchdowns. We had a huge play in this game in the third quarter, I believe. Fourth and short, Green Bay goes for it, and Jordan Love just chucks it into, like, double coverage and just perfectly drops it in. Was it a tremendous throw? No, not at all. But it got there, so, I mean, can you really knock it? I mean, no, no chief defender made a play on it. Um, but what we're here to talk about, of course, is the end-of-game sequence, and I'm not sure I really have much to add that hasn't been said ad nauseum, but I'm going to get to say my piece as well. Um... Yeah. Wow. Okay, so it's 27-19, a buck nine to go. Awful roughing the pass. Awful, not roughing the passer, excuse me, late hit call on Jonathan Owens, and they made sure to talk about Jonathan Owens a handful of times here because people accused them of uh, some unsavory things for not talking about Jonathan Owens and his wife, Simone Biles, nearly as much as they talked about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. So they made sure to mention Jonathan Owens, and of course, who makes that hit? It's Jonathan Owens. Um, it was an awful call. Completely awful. Uh, he was still in the air. He hadn't touched the white. You're allowed to hit him. It, I don't even know why they wouldn't potentially, you know, I mean, look at it on the Jumbotron. Whatever. Either way, um, then, <laughs> sure, 
we have Marquez Valdez Scantling. Stop me if you've heard this one before. On a deep ball in a clutch situation, balls in the air, and he doesn't end up with it. However, Packer fan, this time it's because Green Bay blatantly, blatantly, I believe, I want to try and get the name right here. I believe it was Carrington Valentine. I'm sorry if I'm wrong on that one. I wrote down number 37. It completely climbs all over his back, and it's pass interference. And at this point, Chris Collinsworth, who was already beside himself, I know a lot of people think he loves him some Patrick Mahomes, but he was not a fan of that late hit call, and he certainly wasn't a fan of this pass interference no call, which was awful. Um, I mean, man, the, you talk about a Chiefs team, and they're kind of burying some some people in the media, it seems, or you know, just people at large are burying the Chiefs at eight and four. You know, the offense hasn't been what it was. Well, they're rolling out there without a true number one wide receiver, right? On top of the fact, they're 8-4, and four, right? A deep ball through the fingers of Valdez Scantling away from potentially being 9-3. and three. Oh, by the way, they get a call in this one. Who knows how this one ends, right? So 8-4 and four could be 10-2. and two. It could be. It's not, but eh, it's within spitting distance. Let's not bury Kansas City. I've seen this movie before. This team's pretty good. I don't think we need to worry about uh, writing the obituary on them just yet. Oh, by the way, let's talk about the last weird call. Um, pass interference on the Hail Mary at the end of the game. You never get that call. Now, I will say this, though. I don't think it should be this tremendous undertaking to get a proper call late in a sporting event. I say that because this is a problem in baseball. This is a problem in basketball. This is a problem in football. It's probably a problem in soccer, if I watched more soccer. The referee doesn't want to be the one that decides the game. Well, the problem with that is it's kind of your job to police the offense and defense. You can't swallow a whistle and not call a false start. You can't swallow a whistle and not call a pass interference just like you can't swallow a whistle and not call a shooting foul because it looked ticky-tack, right? That's where people come in and say, well, let them play, let them play, right? If they're doing it the whole game, you shouldn't expect it in the big moments. That's a fair a fair argument, right? I have nothing against that. But you're also blatantly letting one team have an advantage over the other in a deciding moment. Am I ripping the ref crew from this game specifically because of the Hail Mary? Not at all. I think this is consistent with the way things are done in the NFL. You're not going to get a pass interference on a Hail Mary unless you're straight up tackling someone to the ground. Did someone push Kelsey in the back? Oh, yeah. Could you slow down, I'd say, 60% of Hail Marys and find that call? Yeah, probably. If it's a decent enough throw and it's a meaningful enough game, you're going to find some people, whether it be a hand on the shoulder pad jerking a guy down or putting the forearm shiver in the back to make him push out of the way so he can't get it. Maybe you're the defender's in the front, leaning straight through the wide receiver. Well, he's got a right too. You're not going to get that call. I'm not going to. I'm not going to beat them up too bad for it. However, I do think it's a problem in a lot of sports. Right? It's like getting the ball on the corner in the top of the ninth inning. It's a lot harder to get that call than it is in the second inning, for whatever reason. Um, it's the same conversation we had earlier in this year. And if you missed that conversation, scroll through. I think I put it in one of the titles or descriptions. Um, we were talking about superstar calls because we had a couple weeks in a row decided with stuff like that. Well, now you have the Kansas City Chiefs 
with the superstar, preeminent superstar in the league, Patrick Mahomes, not getting a massive pass interference in the biggest situation. And then you have on a couple of plays later, you know, the same thing. Is it chickens coming home to roost? Did they get to the referees? No. I just think it was a bad call, and then a call that you're not going to get. Next, on the AFC side of the bracket, I just wanted to talk, this could have been NFC, but we'll put it in the AFC side to populate it a little bit. Make the AFC football fans feel a little bit more love. Let's talk about this weird Rams-Browns game. Because the Browns lose by 17 in this one, right? But for some reason, it gives me a little bit of hope if I'm a Cleveland Brown fan. Cleveland Browns fans, however many of you out there, comment section if where you're listening has one, or social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Do you agree with me? Right? Like, Joe Flacco was a lottery ticket. Who knows how he's going to look out there. The guy barely played when he was a Jet. You know, all right, well, it's been a while since we've seen him. I think Joe Flacco looked pretty good. I mean, 23 of 44 is not tremendous. I don't want him throwing the ball 44 times, period. And obviously that doesn't include sacks and things like that. But, I mean, he looked pretty good. The arm looked decent. He hit a couple of receivers in stride. Elijah Moore, who we obviously knew when he was a Jet, he looked pretty comfortable with him. You know, all right, a couple of weeks of chemistry, this could work. Um, On the other side of the coin, though, and we are in the NFC, uh, we talked about the NFC playoff picture earlier. The Rams looked pretty good. I said it a few weeks ago. If this Rams team is healthy and they find a way into the postseason, they are a problem. There's a playoff pedigree there. They are former Super Bowl champions. Matthew Stafford, three touchdowns in this game. Kyron Williams looked good on the ground. And remember, they put up 36 against a pretty good Browns defense. Puka Nakua doing Puka Nakua things, 100 yards receiving and a touchdown. Cooper Cup sprinkling in six catches and a touchdown of his own. Tyler Higby went down, which is a problem because they don't have a super amount of weapons on that offense. But Cup and Nakua is a quality duo. Mix in Kyron Williams being healthy now. Add in the, you know, the coaching staff that's been there and done that. This could be a decent sneaky team come playoff time. And playoff time is right around the corner. Number four in the standout seven. Just a quick one. You know, I had a little bit of a segment cooked up on uh, playoff overview, but I feel like we were touching on so many of the teams already. Maybe we'll just keep that for next week, maybe the week after. So put a pin in that one. But number four, reports coming out saying that Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, longstanding, wants to ban the tush push permanently. Big Raj, I am on your team. I am not a fan of the tush pushing. Um, I made a suggestion. Raj, if you're a fan, first of all, call me. Let me know. We can make something happen. Second of all, if you're new around here and you stumbled into the episode, maybe we put you in the title. We haven't written the title yet. Um, scroll back through. I believe it was an off-season episode when they were initially debating this in the competition committee or the owners' meetings, etc., My idea was you are not allowed to engage in pushing a ball carrier if they took, you know, if they're the one that took the snap or perhaps make it where if they took the, if they get the ball within, you know, a yard of the line of scrimmage, any amount of pushing is prohibited, right? I think the one second it would add in making Jalen Hurts take the snap from the pistol 
instead of under center might be enough to help some defenses. Now you can say, hey, we've seen some teams already start doing stuff. Hey, look, Kansas City looked pretty good against it. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, but the fact of the matter is, as of right now, the current rule set and the way things currently go, it seems to genuinely favor one team. And I don't mean the offensive team. I mean literally one team. And then you want to go crazy on me and say, well, Tom Brady was really good at QB sneaks. It's like, yeah, but Tom Brady's just, I don't know, man. Tom Brady didn't have people straight up shoving him from behind. Maybe that's my issue with it. That's realistically what my kind of issue with it is. If Jalen Hurts was doing it the Tom Brady thing and he was just straight up trucking through people, Brandon Jacobs style, like we're not banning the QB sneak. No. But we're banning a rugby scrum. We're playing American football. We're not playing rugby. I had an issue during the season last year, way back, with what I thought was a problem with referees letting some plays go too long. And I think part of that became the impetus for some of these discussions. Because we saw then every play, was every running play where there was a lineman or two in the area would turn into a sort of rugby scrum situation. And that's just blatantly not NFL football. I'm sorry. It's just not what it is. Um, if they want that to become what it is, by all means. But uh, currently, that is not the way things go, usually. And I think Big Raj is on board. And you know what, Big Raj? I'm on board with you, buddy. Number five in the standout seven, I want to talk about Zach Wilson. Yes, if you are not in the New York area, you probably did not hear nor care about this story. But I am here, and I am going to bring it to you. Zach Rosenblatt of The Athletic put out this post on X. He also said that the sources told this to him and Diana Rossini, famous Bronx-ite. Shout out to the Bronx. Uh, the Jets want to make a switch at quarterback. The team is leaning towards Zach Wilson to take over, but he is reluctant to stepping back in. The team is hoping he changes his mind as they continue to discuss the next step. Within the day, this goes out. Talk radio is ablaze in the New York area, as it always is. If it's not this, it's something else. We very quickly hear from Aaron Rodgers, who was on with Pat McAfee, and he called it straight-up character assassination. He said that it was cowardly that someone from the organization would do something like this if it were true. Um, and I tend to agree that it would be, I mean, come on. If you hear a guy saying he doesn't want to play and you have a problem with it, go to his face or go to the coach or go to whatever. You're going to go to the press. What beef do you have with Zach Wilson? I mean, look, I know the guy's not a great quarterback. I know he hasn't played great as a member of the Jets, but he was rushed into action, and now he was promised a chance to learn, and he hasn't been given that chance at all, and I don't know. I, I couldn't even guess for you if it's an offensive player, a defensive player, a coach. Maybe somebody in the front office who happened to be walking by the locker room. I don't know. I, I, somebody in the club, in the locker room, not a trainer. Um, either way, Aaron Rodgers very quickly defended who was supposed to be his backup quarterback, someone he's taken sort of a mentor role towards. Um, and realistically, I'm going to be honest, this might be a hot take. I don't blame Zach Wilson if he was truly reluctant to re-enter the starting lineup. Because Zach Wilson has been blamed relentlessly for anything Jets' failure since he has pretty much been a member of the club. 
let's be frank. He hasn't played great, but he is ripped. I mean, look, Daniel Jones didn't play great. They kept handing him the ball and handing him the ball and handing him the ball. It's the same stadium. You don't think he sees that? You don't think he hears talk radio when the Giants lose to the Dallas Cowboys for the 35th straight time or whatever it is at this point, and Daniel Jones throws for a buck 75, and they go, well, you know, this is why they shouldn't have drafted Barkley so high. Oh, yeah, of course, it's Barkley's fault, yeah. Barkley who's accomplished more already than Daniel Jones has or will in all likelihood. But here we go, sure. I mean, I get it. Sauce Gardner bursts on the scene, tremendous corner, rookie of the year. Garrett Wilson bursts on the scene. I get it. They're tremendous players. They're immediate impact players. Zach Wilson didn't have that. He didn't have an immediate impact, and he needs a little bit of seasoning. He wouldn't be the first quarterback to come in, be rushed into action, and underperform. He also wouldn't be the first one to do it, need some time, and then come back and be a productive player. Have you heard of Alex Smith? Alex Smith, first three years, oh, by the way, one touchdown, 11 interceptions in seven starts. 16 touchdowns, 16 picks in 16 games. Third year, seven starts, two touchdowns, four picks. Nothing tremendous here. These numbers are underwhelming. Two weeks in a row with an Alex Smith mention, by the way. More than underwhelming, I should say. These are straight up bad. Straight up bad numbers. Right? It wasn't really until we saw Jim Harbaugh come in that the Niners and Alex Smith took that next step, right? He came back from the shoulder injury, 18 touchdowns to 12 picks. That's not a bad year. 10 games he only started. The next year he starts 10 more, 14 to 10. 17 touchdowns, 5 picks in the running for comeback player of the year. Eventually winds up Kansas City. He's a productive player, low turnovers from that game manager archetype. Could it be possible that Zach Wilson could work in that kind of a situation? Yeah. I mean, the Jets have a good defense, right? You take a look. I mean, Brees Hall is supposed to be their guy, right? Let's take a look at Brees Hall's numbers the last weeks, right? 13 carries for 16 yards against Atlanta. That's Zach Wilson's fault, right? 7 carries for 25 yards against Miami. 10 carries for 23 yards against Buffalo. 13 carries for 28 yards against Vegas. 16 for 50 against the Chargers. 12 for 17 against the Giants. The guy's got 585 yards on the year. He had a buck 27 in week one, and then he had a buck 77 against Denver. I mean, guys, that's 300 yards right there. Am I blaming Brees Hall? No, I am not. I'm not blaming him. I'm blaming the offense, the scheme, the offensive line. Maybe a little bit for him. Oh, by the way, Dalvin Cook. Remember, he was supposed to be a big acquisition too. The guy's got 200 rushing yards on the year. So you know your quarterback play is subpar or average at best. I would say subpar, but you want to make the argument he could peak at average sometimes. I won't argue with you. He's got some athleticism. He's got a decent arm. If you put him in the right situation, I could see it happening. You're not getting productivity out of the running game. And that's a chicken or the egg moment. Are they biting down so hard on the run and clamping us and then we can't pass anyway? Or they know we can't pass, so they're like, all right, we're not going to let them run. Like, you put Simeon out there, did it look any better? You had the flash in the pan for Mike White last year, and you loved it so much you let him go, right? And the players were very quickly on the Mike White bandwagon in this locker room. So even then, you don't think Zach Wilson got the hint 
these guys don't want me to be their quarterback, man. And then what happens? They let Mike White go. They bring in another veteran. And immediately, Rodgers gets hurt. Oh, man. These guys got to – I don't want to – these guys don't like me, dude. Like, these guys don't want to play with me at its core. And I I had this discussion during the week. I understand there are millions of people that would kill to get to play football for a living. Let's take that out of the equation. You're going to work tomorrow, right? And you have to do something in your job that you know you're not very good at. You know it. You've tried doing it. You're not good at it. But the other guy went on vacation. The other guy had surgery. He's not going to be in for a few weeks. Okay, so you know you have to do it. And your coworkers made it abundantly clear to you, both behind your back and likely in remarks to your face, they don't like when you do this. You're not good at it. The other guy was really good. One week, they brought in a temp, and they loved it. The temp was so good at it, dude. You should have seen it. You should have learned from the temp. Is that not a hostile work environment, man? Like, you want to go into that? He's human. Maybe maybe I'm defending Zach Wilson too much. I don't know. Let me know what you guys think. Comments, social media, you know the deal. But, like, this is just a person going to work. I get that they put on the jersey and it feels like a disconnect on the humanity level. But, like, that's a real. That's not a robot. This isn't real steel, guys. That's a human being that has to go to work knowing he's going to get flack from both his teammates, his coaches, the fans, everybody. He doesn't want to do it. Look, would it shock you if he go out if he went out there and played bad again? He's not ready. He doesn't have the skill set. He is not equipped. But they're gonna run him out there again. They're gonna break him. If he's not mentally broken already. He's gotta sit behind look, the the classic thing is what? You sit behind the established veteran. We're running out of some of these veterans, guys. Changing of the guard, the guys are younger, right? So there's no go sit behind Drew Brees like Jameis Winston did. There's no go sit behind Peyton. Go sit behind Tom Brady like a Blaine Gabbert did when he didn't work out as a first-round pick. Who's he going to sit behind, guys? He can't back up Lamar Jackson. He can't back up, what, Joe Burrow? Jake Browning looks to have a stranglehold after last week on that job. Who's he going to sit behind? Pat Mahomes? I don't think Andy Reid's jumping out of his seat to get that one. Come on. Let's cut the kid some slack. I get it. He's playing bad. But, like, can you blame him? They they were on the talk radio. They were like, if that's true and he doesn't want to play, they should cut him immediately. He'll never find another job in the league. He's the first guy to quit on his team. Have you never watched a bad football team? Half the team looks like they quit. I mean, we're like a week removed from Deontay Johnson, who hasn't quit on the Steelers, by the way. He hasn't quit. He's a pretty good player. I think they like him in Pittsburgh. He just stands there while there's a fumble. What? I mean, how many times was was Cam Newton chided for not diving on a fumble in the Super Bowl? He got another job. They didn't even trade him immediately after that. So what are we doing? It's, I mean, this is week two of me yelling at clouds about, you know, over-sensationalizing this, that, and the third. But, like, come on, guys. This is getting ridiculous. Number six in the standout seven, just wanted to send well wishes to Hayden Hurst. I don't know if you've heard about this, y'all. Panthers tight end Hayden Hurst's father, this is per Adam Schefter, and I read the tweet myself, but this is the way he phrased it. Um, Hayden Hurst's father 
said that his son was diagnosed with post-traumatic amnesia by an independent neurologist following a hit he took in Chicago on November the 9th. He went on to say, slow recovery, don't know when he'll be back. Prayers appreciated. So, just wanted to extend our well wishes and prayers from both myself and the people here at Last Word on Sports, because when you hear amnesia and post-traumatic, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be frank with you. I was unaware that post-traumatic amnesia was even a diagnosis. I mean, that sounds like significant head trauma. Um, wishing the best to Hayden Hurst and his father and his family. And wow, that is some scary stuff. Um, again, just a reminder that the players are real people out there too. I mean, he has to go home to his family and you hope after a rough game, he has his facilities and things like that. And it seems that it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a road for Hayden Hurst upcoming. News and notes before we transition into the Pick'em portion. Um, don't know if you all caught it last week. Alvin Kamara ran into a sideline chain gang sort of guy by accident. Broke his leg. Um, didn't mean to do it. Wasn't anything egregious about it. Then it supposedly came out that Kamara was doing, quote, doing his best to make him feel better. He sent him a signed jersey and a ball. I'm not trying to be this guy. I, I get it. It is a nice gesture by Kamara. I don't want your You just broke my leg. I don't want your jersey. I want anyone's jersey but you. You broke my leg. Like, let, let's be real, guys. Like, that jersey's going on eBay. You broke my leg. Come on. Like, what are we doing? Anyway, other news. Kenny Pickett of the Pittsburgh Steelers is going to be out multiple weeks with an ankle injury. We saw uh, Monday Night Football, which I don't think we touched on a super amount, but what was there really to say other than that weird false start offsides debate, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, Patriots bring home a win with Bailey Zappi. The hometown Steeler fans were not happy with the performance from Mitchell Trubisky. Stop me if you've heard that one before. Uh, calling for Mason Rudolph to make his way into the game. Um, Shaq Leonard, previously released around Thanksgiving by the Colts, making his way to Philly. Uh, Derrick Henry, battling an injury not concussed. There was a weird miscommunication where it came out that he had a concussion. That's why he went in the locker room for that Colts-Titans uh, game, but it came out that is not the case. Speaking of the Titans, Jeffrey Simmons on their D-line going to be out a few weeks. He's a big piece for them, stuff in the run. Um, Dallas head coach Mike McCarthy undergoing acute appendicitis surgery this week. We wish him the best, and apparently he'll be okay to be with the team on the field coaching against Philly. Uh, maybe he needs Big Dom from Philly to protect him so none of the players run into him, you know? Uh, anyway, Christian Kirk of the Jaguars to IR, and that should be the end of the news and notes here. As we transition into my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion of episode number 181, and we're going to get started with a barn burner. D'Amico Ryans leads the Texans to New Jersey to take on the Zach Wilson-led New York Jets. For the road team, they're going to be without tight end Dalton Schultz with a hamstring injury. Questionable wide receiver Noah Brown with a knee. Offensive lineman George Fan with a hip. And D-lineman Sheldon Rankins with an elbow slash shoulder. The Jets are going to be without their former, like technically starting quarterback, Aaron Rodgers with an Achilles injury. Wide receiver Jason Brownlee with an ankle. And O-lineman Wes Schweitzer with a calf injury. Questionable for the New York Jets. The aforementioned Brees Hall with an ankle injury. Offensive lineman Carter Warren with a hip, and D-lineman John Franklin Myers with an ankle as well. 
I'm taking the Texans in this game. I, I think the Texans' defense is pretty darn good. I, you can make the argument the Jets' defense is every bit as good, but then you're going to have to go score points. C.J. Stroud may throw you a pick or two, but I don't think it's going to be enough to swing this game. Texans are the better team, hands down, and I think they walk out of Meadowlands with a win. Next, we got a battle between two title contenders, technically. Uh, the L.A. Rams head to Baltimore to take on the Baltimore Ravens. Doubtful for this one, tight end Tyler Higby with a neck injury. Questionable, two linebackers in Byron Young with a knee and Michael Hoked with a knee as well. And D.B. Quinton Lake is questionable with a hamstring injury. Ravens listing two linebackers also as questionable in Malik Ham with an ankle and Malik Harrison with a groin. Corner to Marion Williams, also listed as questionable with an ankle injury. I think the Rams are a rising ship, so to speak. In an NFC that's relatively open, right now you've got two spots up for grabs, one team being led by a backup QB who wasn't on their roster a month ago, the other team being led by Jordan Love, who's got a lot to prove. You've got Geno Smith pushing towards that playoff spot as well. I think the Rams are a pretty good team, and I think they're obviously the most dangerous of those four teams, just in terms of experience and pedigree. That being said, Baltimore right now is elite, easily a top-five team in the NFL, and they're playing this one at home. Give me the Ravens to take down Matt Stafford and the boys. Next, we've got an NFC South matchup, as the only eliminated team in the NFL heads down to the Caesars Superdome to take on the Saints. Panthers, obviously going to be without Hayden Hurst this week, as well as D-lineman Deshaun Williams with a knee. Questionable, two more tight ends in Steven Sullivan with a shoulder and Tommy Tremble with a hip. Center Bradley Bozeman with an ankle and two linebackers in Yutur Gross Matos with a hammy and Marquise Haynes with a back. Saints are going to be without running back Kendra Miller with an ankle injury, as well as D-end Isaiah Foskey with a quad. Questionable, a long list and some names you've probably heard of. QB Derek Carr with a concussion slash rib slash shoulder. Oh my goodness. Uh, Taysom Hill with a foot slash left hand injury. Rashid Shahid at wide receiver with a thigh. Chris Olave with an illness. Tight end Juwan Johnson with a quad. Offensive lineman Nick Saldiveri with a shoulder. D lineman Cameron Jordan with an ankle. Linebacker Pete Werner with a shoulder slash oblique. Excuse me. And their kicker Blake Groupie with a groin injury. Now, if I were a gambling man, and perhaps I am, this might be the week, Panther fans. If Car Look, with the amount of names on that list, if at least half of them don't go, the chances of the Panthers winning shoots up, right? You're talking Carr, who's their starting quarterback. You're talking Taysom Hill, who is their goal line package. Chris Olave, their leading receiver. Rashid Shahid, who's a pretty good wideout. Jawan Johnson, lead tight end. Cameron Jordan, one of their better pass rushers. Their kicker. This might be the week that I pick the Panthers. I don't think I have picked the Panthers the entire season. And I think that streak will continue. I think Alvin Kamara and Jameis Winston should realistically be enough against the Panthers team that's offense is utterly inept. Uh, I'll probably regret it. Maybe the Panthers will win this one 13-11 because Jameis throws a pick six. Give me the Saints 
to win this one at home and stay in the hunt in their division. Next, we head to Cincinnati, where the much-discussed Gardner Minshew-led Colts take on the Bengals. But the Colts are going to be without their starting running back, Jonathan Taylor with a thumb injury, as well as O-lineman Braden Smith with a knee. Questionable, linebacker EJ Speed with a knee, and corner Juju Brents, all-time name, with a quad injury. For the Bengals, questionable, wide receiver Tyler Boyd with an ankle. Offensive lineman Deontay Smith with an off-the-field matter, personal matter and D-lineman DJ Reader with a back injury. Now, it's a bad look. I just talked about Gardner Minshew. I really talked him up, and then I said they'd be better with Anthony Richardson. And then I'm going to go into this segment right here, and I'm going to pick the Bengals to beat the Colts because the Colts won't have their starting running back in Jonathan Taylor. Now, that being said, Michael Pittman and Gardner Minshew seem to have pretty good chemistry. So I'm on the fence for this one, but by default, I tend to think, you know what, no. I can't do it to him. I can't buy into the one-game hype of Jake Browning so much that I'm flipping on my boy Gardner Minshew. Give me the Colts. I'm going down with the ship. It doesn't matter. Colts to win this one on the road. Well, if you liked NFC South matchups, you're in the right week of the season because we've got another one. Our next game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers heading to Hotlanta to take on Dirty Birds. Buccaneers going to be without... Their linebacker, Devin White, with a foot injury, as well as corner Jamel Dean with an ankle-slash-foot. Questionable, D-lineman Vita Vea with a toe, and linebacker K.J. Britt with a back injury. The Falcons beat up on the line of scrimmage. They're going to be without O-lineman Caleb McGarry with a knee, and two D-linemen in David Onyemata with an ankle, and LaCale London with a knee, as well as linebacker Nate Landman with a knee as well. Questionable, one of their wide receivers in Mac Hollins with an ankle, center Drew Dahlman with an ankle as well. Corner Mike Hughes with a hand, corner A.J. Terrell with a concussion, and to complete the trio, Jeff Okuda battling, you guessed it, an ankle injury. This is a rough one for the Falcons. They just came off of an ugly, ugly, ugly win over the Jets. Um, I think Tampa Bay is better than them. I do. The Falcons, like I've said it before, if we were booting up Madden tomorrow, I'd rather be the Falcons. Young core, athleticism, and I can call the plays. Uh, But in real life, it does not seem to click into points for the Falcons. Um, Give me Tampa Bay to, I guess it's an upset. They do have the worst record to pull off the upset on the road. Next, the battle between AFC contenders as the Jacksonville Jaguars head to Cleveland to take on the Browns. Jaguars going to be without tight end Brenton Strange with a foot injury. Offensive lineman Walker Little with a hammy and two corners in Christian Braswell with a hammy and corner Trey Herndon with a concussion. Questionable, and this is the huge one, this is what makes the game, quarterback Trevor Lawrence with a high ankle sprain, as well as another big one in running back Travis Etienne with a rib injury, and one of his backups in Dearness Johnson with a knee injury. On the defensive side, questionable D-lineman Foley Fatukasi with a heel, another all-time name, and DB Tyson Campbell with a quad. On the home team side, the Cleveland Browns listing a handful of players as questionable. Two big ones in wide receiver Amari Cooper with a concussion slash rib injury and corner Denzel Ward battling a shoulder injury. Also listed as questionable, O-lineman Dewan Jones with a knee and corner Cameron Mitchell with a hammy. I'm going to use the patented Nick asterisk on this one because I think if C.J. Beathard is out there for the Jaguars, they are going to lose this game. Um... If 
if the Browns defense played better last week against the Rams, I'd probably be straight up picking the Browns. However, they did not. And the Jacksonville Jaguars have pressure on them. Uh, obviously, the Browns do as well. But if the Jags want to stay in the playoff hunt as well as win their division, they got to win this game to the point where Trevor Lawrence is considering, you know, getting out there on this short of a turnaround, a shortened week on a high ankle sprain where he was limping all the way to the locker room. I'm going to believe in Doug Peterson and the Jaguars as long as Trevor's out there to get this one done. Next, our final one o'clock kick. We head to the NFC North. The Detroit Lions take on the Chicago Bears from Soldier Field. Lions going to be without backup QB Hendon Hooker, still battling that knee injury, or rather rehabbing a long-term knee injury, I should say, as well as O-lineman Frank Ragnow with a knee-slash-back-slash-toe. Not a great week for Frank. Uh, questionable linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez with an ankle injury. The Bears going to be without Amon Ross St. Brown's brother Equinemius, who has a hamstring injury, as well as questionable two more wide receivers in Vellis Jones Jr. with an illness and Tyler Scott with a hammy. Also finding his way to the injury report, D-lineman Yannick Ngakwe, who is questionable with a knee injury. No shot I'm taking the Bears to win this game. There's no chance. I think Dan Campbell will have the troops rallied up a little bit. Now that we see them in a situation where they're tied with San Francisco still, and Philly may come back to the pack a little bit, I mean, Detroit could be a one seed with a couple of balls bouncing their way. Give me Detroit to win this one on the road. Next, we head to the mid-afternoon slate, and we take it to the West Coast. Our first of two 405 kicks. The Seattle Seahawks head down to Santa Clara to take on the Niners. Questionable in this one. QB Geno Smith of the Seahawks with a groin injury. Two running backs in Kenneth Walker with an oblique and Zach Charbonnet with a knee. Wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge with a rib injury. D-lineman Jaron Reed with a hammy. Linebacker Jordan Brooks with an ankle. And corner Trey Brown battling a heel injury. The Niners are going to be without wide receiver Ray Ray McLeod, who's battling a rib injury. Tight end Ross Dwelly with an ankle. And D-lineman Eric Armstead, possibly the biggest of the three, with a foot slash knee. Doubtful for the Niners, running back Elijah Mitchell with a knee, offensive lineman Spencer Burford with a knee, and corner Darrell Luter with a hamstring injury. I mean, it's a crowded NFC wildcard race, but the Niner team that we just watched demolish the Eagles, I'd be hard-pressed to see them losing this one at home to a potentially injured Geno Smith. Give me the Niners to win this one at home. Next, we've got Josh Dobbs, presumably off the bye. Actually, let's let's look into that one real quick. Are they sticking with Dobbs? I have heard no other... Yep, NFL.com, they are sticking with Dobbs. Josh Dobbs, leading the Vikings on the road to take on the Antonio Pierce regime's Las Vegas Raiders from Allegiant Stadium. The Vikings, listening just two, is questionable. Offensive lineman Ed Ingram with a hip injury and DB Theo Jackson with an illness. The Raiders, on the other hand, going to be without offensive lineman Colton Miller with a shoulder Questionable, huge one in Max Crosby with a knee, as well as linebacker Kanai Mauga with a knee, and corner Brandon Faison with a shin injury. Look, I was on the Josh Dobbs bandwagon when he was in Arizona. I'm not jumping off now. However, we talk about playoff picture. Vikings are in right now. The Raiders are not far away from being in the playoff hunt. They are two games removed. The games they have remaining, this one against the Vikings, then the Chargers, then the Chiefs, you don't love that, 
Then they've got the Colts and the Broncos, two teams ahead of them in the pack. The Raiders can make a lot of noise, or they could spoil some people's offseason plans. Unfortunately, I've got the Pastronaut in this one. Next, we head to the 425 slate, where we've got just two games this week. AFC West showdown between two wildcard contenders as the Denver Broncos head to SoFi Stadium to take on the Chargers. Broncos listing just one questionable running back Samaj P. Ryan with a knee injury. Chargers going to be without wide receiver Josh Palmer with a knee, offensive lineman Zach Bailey with a back, and corner Dean Leonard with an ankle slash heel. Questionable D lineman Otito Ogbenaya with a knee, and linebacker Amen Ogbong Bemiga with a hamstring injury. Let me know in the comments, social media, if I butchered that name, because that is one heck of a name. That will skyrocket to the name of the year. You know what? I think we will do best names of the year along with our end-of-year awards when we get to Pro Bowl week. Because we mention it so frequently, and the league has such tremendous... tremendous, unique names that I think we need to shout out some of them. Because truly, I mean... Look, no disrespect to Josh Palmer, but we've had plenty of Palmers in the league. How many Ogbenayas have we had? How many Ogbongbemigas have we had? I think we can answer that question. And I think it is less than some teams have had Palmers on the same team. Either way, um, this is an interesting matchup. Broncos fresh off of a pretty good winning streak, albeit it's snapped. The Chargers in desperation mode off of a not-so-impressive win over the New England Patriots. Did that age well because the Patriots beat the Steelers? Well, not really because it's a backup quarterback. Um, I'd be hard-pressed if this were a few months ago to tell you I was confident that the Denver Broncos would put up a good game in this one, but I think the Texans are better than the Chargers, and I think Denver played pretty well against teams better than this Chargers team. Let's see what Sean Payton and Russell Wilson can cook up on the West Coast. Let's see if they can stay in the playoff hunt. They're just one game out, one game behind the team that just beat them. You know what? Give me the Broncos to win this one on the road. I will say this. I did say, going into last week, if the Chargers played poorly and lost to the Patriots, Brandon Staley would not be employed by the time of our next episode. They played poorly and won. He is still employed. I stand by what I said earlier in the year. they got to make the postseason. And it is not looking to be an easy road for the L.A. Chargers. They are 5-7, two games out. They are facing Denver, the Raiders, the Bills, the Broncos again, and the Chiefs. Five AFC teams, of which four of them are currently ahead of them. Well, technically it's the Broncos twice. But you get what I'm getting at. Five games, all teams that are in this hunt. Um, and they end the year against the Chiefs. They better hope the Chiefs don't need that game. They better hope it's a free win. If not, Chargers probably not going anywhere. And I think this game won't help them. As I said, Russell Wilson and the Broncos on the road. Speaking of the Kansas City Chiefs, our other game in the 425 slot, the Buffalo Bills, scratching and clawing, trying to get to the playoffs, are taking on Kansas City at Arrowhead Stadium. Bills, questionable tight end Dawson Knox with a wrist and corner Kyir Elam with an ankle injury. The Chiefs going to be without their lead back in Isaiah Pacheco with a shoulder. They're going to go with Edwards Hilaire instead. Uh, O-lineman Donovan Smith with a neck injury, linebacker Drew Tranquil with a concussion, and safety Brian Cook with an ankle. All out of this one. 
I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I said earlier in this episode, I don't think the Chiefs are dead and buried. However, missing Pacheco and Donovan Smith on the offense, along with Drew Tranquil at linebacker, this is going to be a weird one. Not to mention, I think there's a whole lot of animosity stored in those bones for the Buffalo Bills. I think every time they see Kansas City on the schedule, they they want to win this one even more than usual. Not to mention, it's been a weird week in terms of a, a potential controversy with Sean McDermott with some comments he made years ago. We try to stay out of some of the off-the-field stuff and stay... The only time we bring it in is like the kind of goofy stuff like with the Zach Wilson shenanigans. That stuff is... Look it up. It's weird. Um, either way, it's been a weird week for them. Maybe it'll bring them together, as weird as that sounds. Um, but more so than anything, I think they just really, way back to the overtime rules thing, hate this Chiefs team. They're the little brother. And you know what? If the little brother's going to make the playoffs this year, they're going to need to pick up this game on the road. And I think they just might do it. Give me Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills to try and right the ship by taking down a, a semi-vulnerable Chiefs team here on the road. Well, if that matchup wasn't good enough for you, the Sunday night one should be the Philadelphia Eagles head to Jerry World to take on the Dallas Cowboys. 10-2, and two, taking on 9-3. and three. The Eagles, as of right now, listing non-applicable on the injury report. Nobody. Nathan. Cowboys going to be without one offensive lineman, Matt Waletsko, with a shoulder injury. I'm taking the Eagles. People were calling the Eagles frauds after that Niners loss. I think the Niners had that pent-up anger I just talked about with the Bills. And oh, by the way, the Niners are a really good football team. That's why I was looking forward to that Niners-Eagles matchup way back when, before Brock Purdy threw his arm out and kind of ruined the Papa John's pizza that hadn't even been delivered to my house. Just kidding, Papa John's won't deliver to my house for some reason. I guess I've been put on a list or something. Anyway, um, that being said, I don't think the Eagles are frauds at all. Um... You want to say that they pad some stats with the tush-push touchdowns or whatever. Yeah, I guess that would be accurate. But this team is really good. Um, and one loss to San Francisco should not remove any amount of confidence you have in this Eagles team. Not to mention, if they're soft and they're fake and yada, 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 then what do you call the Dallas Cowboys? I think this will be a fun game. I could see Dallas winning this one, I will admit. And they are in Dallas, but... Admittedly, I don't think playing in Dallas has been much of a home field advantage for the Cowboys when it comes to big games like this. I'm going to take the Eagles to win this one on the road and keep just barely holding on to that one seed in the NFC. Next, we've got a Monday night. Well, I guess I guess you shouldn't call it a doubleheader, right? Because the games are taking place simultaneously. We have an 8:15 kick between the Tennessee Titans and the Miami Dolphins. And an 8-15 kick between the New York Giants and the Green Bay Packers. Now, per NFL.com, the Giants-Packers game is ABC, ESPN+, and NFL+. And the Titans-Dolphins game is ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Deportes, and NFL+. Interesting. I like it. It's a shame the Titans aren't tremendous, but, I mean, realistically, they probably knew that going in, right? Um, we'll start with that game. We'll start with Titans-Dolphins, because, I mean... I've got the Dolphins winning this one uh, at home. The Dolphins right now are the one seed in the AFC, and I think they're going to do everything they can to hold on to that one seed. I mean, 
This is a team last year that we saw riding high, riding high, and then Tua gets hurt. I thought they were tremendous before the Tua injury, and now Tua's out there every game. He might be the MVP of the league if they can hold on to this one seed. And oh, by the way, who do they have left? Not the easiest games. They've got the Titans this week, who I've got them beating. They've got the Jets the following week, and then it snaps a little harder in terms of the difficulty rating. They've got the Dallas Cowboys. Then they go to Baltimore, which could decide the one seed. That's on New Year's Eve. And then they end the year at home against the Buffalo Bills. Spicy, spicy, spicy. But in order to keep those games spicy, they've got to take care of business at home against the Titans, and I think they will. Particularly considering I'm not certain of Derrick Henry's status for this game. Concussion or non-concussion, he was still removed from the other game last week early. Uh, NFC side of this doubleheader, quote-unquote, simultaneous game, um, we've got the Green Bay Packers heading to New Jersey to take on the New York Giants. Early in the year, this could have been a fun game. Jordan Love got something to prove going on the road. You know, the Giants fresh off of a playoff berth last year. Who knows what they'd be? I mean, they're 4-8. and eight. If they would have got a call against Buffalo, maybe they'd be 5-7. and seven. Then they're right in it. If they, you know, I don't know, play better at the end of the game against the Jets, maybe they're 6-6 six and six or 5-7. and seven. You know, either way, something goes your way. Uh, but, alas, it is Tommy Cutlet's season for the New York Giants, and they are 4-8. and eight. Um, I'll admit, I said this earlier in the year, I think Jordan Love has won the starting job, hands down, for next season for the Green Bay Packers. But he has been inconsistent. And that gives me a little cause to pause here. I don't think Tommy Cutlets is going to go out there and dice up the Green Bay Packers defense. I think the Packers should be able to play within their means here, not have to be down 10 points and throw the ball all over the yard. They can get A.J. Dillon involved. They can get Aaron Jones involved, health permitting. Um, and realistically, the Giants are planning their offseason vacations right now. The Packers are trying to sneak in or grab a playoff spot. They should have a little bit more urgency. I think that'll show up. Give me the Packers to win this one on the road. The thing that gave me cause to pause, like I said, is just it's hard to get a gauge for, like, is Jordan is Jordan Love over the hump? I don't think he is. You take a look, 267 last week, three touchdowns. 268 the week before, three touchdowns. You know what? Maybe he is over the hump. He's had three tremendous games in a row. The game prior to that, he threw for 289. I take it back. I take it back. I'm more confident now, which means the Packers will lose. I'm sorry, Packer fan. But he's had three great games in a row. Why not make it four? Those are better teams than this Giants team. That'll bring us to our final game of the week, the Thursday night football matchup for week 15. Two teams on the outside looking in, potentially trying to set up a playoff push or a last second court sort of uh, attempt to make it interesting for the fans in these last few weeks. The LA Chargers head to Vegas to take on the Raiders. I don't know. I This Chargers team at this point would be fresh off of a loss to the Denver Broncos. They're sitting at 5 and 8, full desperation will set in. The Raiders will also, if my picks are accurate, be sitting at 5 and 8. Although the Raiders, I think you can argue since they're on a new coach already are probably playing for, you know, playing for incentives, 
playing for an audition for next year, playing to potentially keep Antonio Pierce as their coach if they end the year well. Um, on the Chargers side of things, it's been a very disappointing year. It'd be even more disappointing if you drop to a ninth loss and all of a sudden you're looking at, well, guaranteed losing season. It doesn't matter what happens here. We're not making this postseason. For that reason, I think the Chargers squeak out of here with a win. I think this could be a pretty good game, admittedly. Aiden O'Connell, Justin Herbert, this could be, you know, somewhere in the 31-21 range with some weird points. Probably going to be a couple of turnovers mixed in there. Handful of fumbles when it comes to these teams. But uh, I actually shouldn't say that about Josh Jacobs, but the Eckler fumble a few weeks ago definitely cost the Chargers. Either way, give me the Chargers to win this one on the road. That'll bring us to the end of the pick and portion of this week's episode and the end of episode number 181 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Hope you all enjoy your NFL Sunday and start doing your holiday shopping if you're falling behind. You know what? We got a whole bunch of deals from Black Friday. There's going to be even more deals this month. And you know what's a great deal? You can tune in next week on Friday evening and listen to this show yet again for free 99 You can't beat that, can you? So whether it's your first time cashing in that coupon or your 181st, make sure bring another one for next week. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off. <laughs>